With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, welcome to the Limited Upside Live chat. Ben, what's up? Hey, Mike. Uh, not much, man. Good, good to be back on the show. I've missed a few, but I'm happy to hear that uh, things had gone smoothly in my absence. Uh, yeah, smoothly enough. You know, only a 30 minute <laughs> delay on the last one, but <laughs> yeah. So here's here's what I want to do today uh, on this chat, and this is like a very re- listener oriented chat. Uh, it's award season, Ben. It's the end of the regular season is coming. The MVP conversation is hitting full bore. All the other conversations are happening. And I find this time period to be a little frustrating because you have to, in order to give someone love, you have to add them to the conversation, even if they don't necessarily have a chance of winning. You only have one winner for these awards and only five places on the ballot for MVP, three for all the other awards. And so naturally, you know, it's not disrespectful really to be leaving someone out, but that's how it is often taken. These conversations can get toxic. Maybe I'm just online too much, Ben. Probably. I don't know what you think. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, (laughs) I think when it was like um, discourse that was being talked about at a table or between friends at a bar or barbershop or go down the list of places where people would congregate and maybe have this conversation historically, it probably was um, a little bit cleaner when it, when it comes to how people express their opinions, but on Twitter, everything gets convoluted. There's no way around it. And, and uh, everyone has an opinion, which is why we're doing this, this show. So people can, can have a platform to express their opinion on who their MVP candidate is. Um, I think one thing that's made this year unique. Or, Mike, or any that, award, to be clear. You can talk yeah, about any yeah, award right. you want. Um, you right. can make up an any award. award. Correct. And, and I think one thing that's made this year unique is we've had small market MVPs before uh, in Oklahoma City. Um, and, and that's certainly something that has occurred and in Milwaukee. Um, but those are not small market players. They're not. They're, they were household names. Russell Westbrook is a household name. Uh, Kevin Durant, uh, you know, Giannis. There's. They, they were not a foreign big man. And I think the the unanimous nature of the season that Jokic is putting up, uh, and a lot of this has to do with circumstance too. I, I'm, I'm sort of losing. Getting, I'm losing yeah. you a little bit. So because he's he's yeah. European, is that the issue? But I, what about Dirk? Yeah. You know, I, well, look, man. Dirk. Dirk was. How many years was Dirk in the league before he won an MVP? Uh, a six decade? Or seven. No, not a decade. Not quite. He won in 2007. Okay. He was drafted in 1998. So, so yeah, but remember one of those years of the lockout. Anyway, Jokic okay, has right. been in the league for how long? Like seven years at this point? Six years? Yeah, but, but there's just a difference in this, which is like Jokic's season stands on its own. But the relationship to the competition all getting hurt makes this such a clear cut. Like there isn't a very good argument outside of, you know, people who are going to push for their guy. 
because LeBron got hurt and because MB got hurt and because like Jokic's mm. season probably would have been enough regardless, but it would have been a closer and a better argument to be made for both those guys had mm. things kept going as they were going. But like, like, but that's the thing, Mike, those guys did get hurt and Jokic is still carrying a team where other key players on his team have gotten hurt, you know, uh, in, in that type of proportion to the value he's put out there. I think it's pretty obvious. I mean, you, you heard Steve Nash say the other night, I think, in a, in a candid situation, someone like Doc would probably agree. It's just that that's the case we have is that Jokic is, he's just easier fodder for stupid talking heads. And that makes this thing such a, a more hot topic. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, that's a very long convoluted way of saying you kind of won by default, but that's a whole uh, separate conversation. I think it's a close race that he wins and deservingly so. At the, uh, it had things continued to move as they were, and I think that, yeah. that it will probably okay. would have come down to the to the two centers who are leading. Mm. You know, in Joel's case, leading the best team in the East, uh, and a, in Jokic's case, I would have. Yeah, what about the the guard from Golden State? But that's a whole sure. Deeper. Yeah, but if Golden State wasn't a if Golden State wasn't a fringe playoff team, then I think then I think if they're solidified in that middle pack, just like Denver is, and Denver's a high middle, you know, being that they're <laughs> so separate from the top four, so separate from the the next seeds in the West. But yeah, I think Steph is definitely, that's why five people make the, make the ballot. Steph will be one of them. And it's an accomplishment yeah. in every possible way that he's led this ragtag group of six, eight and unders to, uh, to being in the playoff conversation. And I, <laughs> and I hope he lights up the list. Six foot and Steph... unders. All right. All right. Six <laughs> foot and unders. Well, I, I think we're already six, getting eight. Six, six, eight, eight and unders. Under. Yes. We're already getting a little off track. The point of the but the point is is of this show is that nobody is a bad candidate for any of these awards in this show. Your job, we are gonna hear from you. We've already got a couple people who want to talk and let's yeah. kind of get through them is yeah. advocate for your guy. Make the positive case that you belong in this endless giant large conversation. And we imagine Ben and I as like the investors on Shark Tank who are deciding which argument to purchase. Uh, and we will decide whether your case is good. But the truth is everybody's case is good. So no longer can anyone complain that someone is not a part of the conversation and should be. The conversation is endless. So we will be taking arguments for all awards, MVP. I think we kind of don't need to talk about Jokic anymore. We can't, yeah, yeah. Let's say not the favorites, unless someone has something they want to say. Anyone else? So I see. Let's start with Matt. Matt King, King you, are you are on. on. Hello. Hello. Matt, Matt, you there? there. Hmm. I can hear myself. I can hear you as well, Mike. And now I can hear myself twice. Well, yeah. hey, can you hear me now? Matt, you there? Yeah, I'm... Yeah, I can hear... Is there constru construction in your background? Uh, Yeah, let me pop outside real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, it's all good. I, there, there's construction in a lot of places now, I find. Um, but while, while we figure that out, um, yeah, I, I live next door to a water tower, and they are supposedly, I know it's kind of random, right, like the water district, and they're supposedly doing some big construction there in the fall, so I'm looking. I'm going to have a lot of that coming my way. Matt, is that better? Uh, yeah, is it? Yes, Matt. What's up? Who who do you want to make a case for for what award? All right. Um, I want to make a case for Jokic, but for most improved player. Oh, okay. What's <laughs> um, the case? All right. I think that um, 
obviously he was really good last year. Um, but when you, I think that, I mean, who are the, I suppose the other guy you would make a case for would be Julius Randle. But when you compare him to Jokic, Jokic made a leap from like a, a top 15, top 20 type player to a pretty clear top five. I think that's a bigger leap. Um, especially when you can, I mean, it's a lot of the same argument for his MVP case, but uh, I think the three point increase is a huge uh, three point percentage increase from like 32 to 40%. That's pretty big. And he's not shooting them at a huge clip, but he's making enough of them that I don't think that that's too much noise. Um, but yeah, I just think that that leap from top 15 to top five is a lot bigger than Randall's maybe top 50 to top 30 leap. Hmm. Uh, can we qualify real quick? Do we think that Randall, so I, I would, I would say Randall's probably a, a top 20 player this year, which is, mm. that's a big, mm. that's a, he probably is. I mean, st- it's not just statistically, he, he's actually probably significantly higher. If you, you look at the kind of numbers he's putting up, but he, I do love this argument though, because Jokic, I think, I think there's two parts to this. Number one, that the run that he's done for the last 10 games when the rest of the Nuggets decided to get hurt uh, is nice because you get to see just what he can do for the entirety of making anyone like any other off guard a viable player in the NBA. Like I think the osmosis of Jokic is being felt in a different way this year. The osmosis of Jokic. This is a, Jokic let this yeah. be the only NBA basketball podcast that uses the phrase osmosis mm-hmm. to describe the value of an NBA player and use That's it true. effectively, and it makes sense. You. <laughs> well, Mike, you. You, you, you're, you're someone, and Matt, I, I love this take here. And, and um, Mike, you're someone who's constantly looking through the, like, the annals of, of NBA history. And it, it, would you say that it is a more difficult leap? to go from, let's say, top 15 to top three, top five, than it is to go from 50 to maybe 20? Is that something that you would assess as being, to, to Matt's point, like that that holds water? Yeah, you know, it, it's very funny you make this argument. I was, uh, I'm looking to, to find the exact date I did it. So in 2012, I made the same argument on SBNation.com for <laughs> Kevin Durant. Basically the same idea. That, like, the leap from being really good to being one of the five best players in the league is more significant than a leap to 20th or whatever. And that should be reflected in the award. And I, I, if you look at the history of the award, it's very rarely interpreted that way. It's very much usually just, like, sort of the guy who wasn't a, a star-level player or even, like, wasn't that good becomes decent like here are some of the award winners from the past tell me if you think that if any of these guys are any interesting names for you isaac austin don mclean helen henderson daryl armstrong bobby simmons aaron brooks <laughs> ryan anderson scott skiles that's a, a George Mirasan, but nobody will slander that most improved player. Nobody will slander that man on this <laughs> podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, it is sort of weird how we just kind of award this, I guess because we feel like the MVP is for Jokic-level players, but I don't know. I kind of agree with this. Like, what the, the jump to being that good is meaningful. Now, is, the real question to me is, is Nikola Jokic the best example of this? You know why? So here, here's the question: Like, why not Joel Embiid for that for that sort of honor? 
perhaps he improved more. And you could go down the list of different uh, guys. I mean, that are on this, you know, that are here. Like why, why Jokic over any of those players? And, you know, especially when you consider what Ben was saying that I think had does have some truth to it, that like Jokic has kind of won the long game because guys have gotten hurt to some degree. What do you say to that, Matt? Um, well, <laughs> first, I want to say that I think politics are going to play into it. If 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 Jokic wasn't kind of winning the MVP but by default, I think you would see a lot more buzz for him towards most improved player. Um, but as far as Embiid goes, I think if you're not going to vote for him for MVP because he's missed half the season, I don't think you should vote for him for most improved player because he's missed half the season either. Okay, fair enough. What about... Um... I'm just looking looking down the list of potential MVP candidates. I mean, that you could have considered. Just so clear, just so clear, Joel Embiid's played 49 games. He's going to end up playing something to the effect of like 52 to 53 of the 72. So okay, he did miss more than half the season. Yeah, and he did um, miss I'm, half the season when he should have won the Rookie of the Year over Malcolm Brogdon. But that's, thinking, that's neither here nor there. I was thinking Kevin Durant is has missed more that's than fair. half the season. But either way, yeah. I think if you're going to disqualify him from MVP, the same logic applies. Okay. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose. What about Luka Doncic? Uh, has Luka really Im- – uh, I just don't think Luka's taken a huge, le- huge leap over last year. Um, I think he would have had a better argument to say he was most improved last year with his sophomore leap. I know that people don't vote that way. That's just kind of a – there's a stigma against it. But Okay, fair enough. What about Donovan Mitchell? What about – Rudy Gobert. What about uh, Kyrie Irving? Um, now I'm, I'm being like intentionally obtuse here a little bit, but <laughs> I think my point, my point is mostly top twenty, top twenty the, guys that are. But that's sort of my po- higher. Yeah, that's sort of my point. Like there are a lot of there are several players, and you know, Jokic is an interesting case. I mean, you mentioned the three point shooting. Also, conditioning wise, he's just so much in better shape. I mean, the fact that he is the most durable of all of these players, and he is playing the heaviest minutes, is in and of itself a form of improvement for him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's a one common denominator between Joel and Jokic is they both came into this year in the best shape of there, look there's a reason why Joel was able to come back from his knee injury as well in a quicker time frame and not suck when he came back or have to get into shape because he was in shape and and mm-hmm. I, I definitely think that you know there's a maturity relationship to both these guys finding what the right body frame for them to succeed is and and um yeah I mean to Jokic's credit durability is a is a huge ability and uh, and, and he's played, you know, significant minutes. He's also a different type of focal point. He's like the combination of, uh, I mean, we said this before, but Mike, I think he's like the, you know, 4.0 of, of like Chris Weber when he was on the Kings, you know, he is yeah. the focal point of the offense. It runs through him. The ball's in his hands for decision-making at all times, but he has the extra layer of being, you know, having to play defense from a center position and not, you know, in Chris Weber's case with, some, uh, you know, playing you know, more of a forward yeah. position. So he's kind of like this 15.0 of Chris Weber. Sure, sure. Not <laughs> but, Chris Weber's a Hall of Famer and was a great player. So it's like. It's, it's more know. just that everybody is the 15.0 version yeah. of a guy from 2001. Um, before I let Billy speak, I know Billy is want to talk. Matt, do you have anyone else you'd like to advocate for for any award? Uh, not in particular. I don't really have. <laughs> I, I don't really have any good arguments to back anyone else up. I just thought that <laughs> Jokic for most improved was a, a fun one to at least do the thought experiment on. So I wanted to bring that up. 
Nice. I like well, it. Thank you. I like it. I do agree with the larger point. We need more superstars winning that award. But if you took it literally. But yes. thank you so much for the call. Let's go to Billy. Hey, guys. Billy, what's up? All right. So I know we talked about MVP a little bit earlier, but I'm going to make the case for Steph. Yes, and... let's do it. I'm okay. with this one. So <laughs> here's here's kind of the, the the cornerstone of my argument. It's that the kind of curve of like the marginal value of a win this year is parabolic, where it peaks like it it, it peaks in the middle of it, like getting to the 45 plus win, the 45 ish win area this year, or no, sorry, or 45 over an 82 game schedule. Right. I, so, I know what you mean. Yeah. A little that bit quality of team. Yeah. yeah. It, it's hard. That's the most difficult. Those getting to that level is most difficult wins controlling for kind of competition. Um, especially, be, I mean, considering all the pandemic environment and especially seeing like what Utah's doing this year, what, Milwaukee did the past couple of years where you can kind of just implement a regular season formula, get a lot of wins, even the, and you can, I mean, I don't want to call them cheap wins, but you can imp like th- there's, there's a formula to being a 66 win team. Even, even if you're not really that like plus 14 net rating team, that uh, is mm-hmm. kind of an all time great team. Does that make, does that kind of part of the argument make sense where I got, I gotta be honest. Are, I can't, I'm not really following you on this one. Okay. I, I have so, to be honest. If I'm doing, right. I'm sort of lost on where you're going with this. All right. So going, going to Steph his, I'm, I'm just trying to basically argue out if you can, that if Steph and Jokic have kind of per, on a permanent basis have been as good on the court. And the only, and the difference is that, Jokic's team has more wins, partially because he's uh, played more, part and partially because of the quality of his teammates. And an additional win each this year doesn't isn't as difficult because of the pandemic circumstances and because the regular season matters less in general over the past couple of years. I think okay. that that part that part of the argument benefiting Jokic isn't as effective anymore. And okay. then you fact. I see. So you're basically saying that like the di- win difference shouldn't matter as much this year. I I don't entirely buy what you're saying in terms of the pandemic. Are you just saying that because like there are just more schedule losses and whatever? Yeah, th- th- there's more. There's more schedule losses. Like I, I think just there's less enthusiasm because of the lack of uh, the lack of fans. Uh, I think, and then the just playing, overall, I, the playing game too. The the opening it up to 10 teams the, the each conference doesn't have 10 teams that are worth a damn and let alone 11 to make the 10th one push itself so that adds right. to this as well yeah exactly and i'm and that was kind of where i was trying to hit it at like the parabolic where yeah. those kind of the eight through or i guess no seven through 10 or seven through 11 spots those wins are so much more difficult because there's so much more focus on them versus when you mm-hmm. as you like go to the right as you're approaching the the four, five, six, the four, five, three, two seeds. Um, those aren't, I mean, relative to kind of prior years where there wasn't the plan, those wins are easier than. Okay. So what Steph's doing in getting in single handedly dragging an offense to the team that to a, a team in those more difficult in that more difficult bucket of wins at plus and, and dragging 
what I think we all kind of recognize is one of the least talented rosters. We literally saw them be the second worst team in the NBA last year without him in a very similar roster. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I think also the players that we're seeing right now are inflated. Like we all know the the Steph dr- gravity charts of what players' true shooting increases when they're when he's on the court versus when he's not. Um, I, I just think that if you if you pull Steph off that team, especially consi- considering uh, where like if you pull Steph off that that team, they're even worse, and the slot is more impressive because of the competition for, around the playing spot this year. I know that wasn't the most beautifully crafted argument, but I, think, I feel like I feel like I, I feel like my I feel like some of my sentiments got across there. Okay, so so I guess that means that if you're the the key to being an MVP candidate is to make your team just good enough to be in the playing picture, but not quite good enough to be out of the well, playing picture. Well, I'm just I mean, I'm messing with you, but no, I mean, but, but, I mean, Steph, Steph's not the GM. I mean, it, it, everything's a, a product of circumstances. Yeah. Okay. Where, Right, right. So, but then why, why is it, why wouldn't, I mean, Jokic's team could very easily have fallen into that picture. Why is Jokic not getting va- getting valued for leading his team out of that picture? Because his teammates are, are better. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, look, his teammates certainly are better. Um, hmm. Well, I mean, I let, let me put it this way. I, I am very sympathetic to Steph as MVP cases. This one is causing me to think a little bit. Well, I, I, I'm just... Um, I, I, whenever we think about MVP, I think why does baseball kind of have it so easy with the, each year? And they've got obviously they got like better catch all statistics. And so I'm trying to think what are the ways to kind of isolate just pure, pure player performance? And again, like I guess MVP is this very subjective argument where like we're not even sure what we're voting for each year because value is so subjective. But I don't know. I'm just I'm just trying to think which hmm. player has done the most for their team this season, which is even less of a precise definition and yeah uh, also just, ba- baseball baseball is also fun because they don't have to make hard decisions in general not just the statistics but they have one for each league and then they get to actually split up offense and defense in, in for you know silver slugger and golden gloves so that they can look at things in a, in a very specific way we obviously have all defense in the nba and then all nba in general but well, those are not two sides of, of, of different coins but well, that's that's also the beauty of basketball is it's a continuous game with free flowing and and that's sort of what you're describing i think is less about the award and more about the unique element of basketball i i think there's definitely some uh some like iverson parallels to just in the most opposite type of basketball player like i'm not comparing the way that each of them approaches the game of basketball but Iverson carried a team of players who were objectively probably couldn't get to 50, 60 points a game without someone like him on that team. They built a specific roster around him and he carried them to a number one seed into the NBA finals in a very different era in the game. Seth right now has essentially figured out how to will with Draymond. And it's very important to understand that Draymond is like, you know, doing absolutely everything he can to make sure Steph is in the optimal position given the players they have around him. And Draymond, except for except for score himself, except when for he's shooting open. and scoring, himself, <laughs> but kind of important. Of, yeah, but he's just like a moving lead blocker at all times, like constantly seeking out the right way to get Steph open. Mm-hmm. And no one else on the team really does anything of that nature. Like I, I just love the. I, you know, having watched probably maybe 10 Golden State, maybe, maybe a couple more than 10 uh, here on the West Coast. I do catch quite a lot of West Coast hoops now. But when you watch Steph and Golden State play, like any given game, their second leading scorer, it could be one of like six players, you know, legitimately one of six guys of which three usually come off the bench. 
you know, and so not to mention they had to deal with playing with Kelly Oubre and that can't be fun uh, for anyone. Um, you know, uh, it's a bad Weisman. team. It's, it's a, a bad, bad team. team. Well, it's you know, Wiseman's actually an interesting one just because Wiseman was entirely played because of his future potential. And as a present value day player, he was incredibly not valuable this year. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Um, sorry. I'm just seeing on Twitter, Ethan said, Ethan Rossi and our friend says, any voter that puts Steph number one in 2015 and will again in 2021 should have a serious self-reflection period. Hmm. I assume that's a reference to Harden and how Steph won because of team quality over Harden. Can't say I buy that one. I think there's some, some slight differences, let's just say, uh, in that logic there. I, I don't really, I don't really see that to that one. I mean, Harden in 2015 would probably beat Jokic. So this is sort of like a silly conversation. Like the candidates are who they are each year. You know, and my feeling, uh, I guess the logic being like the one man team element, but like you said it too, like the one man team element of Steph is not the same thing as a one man team element of a Harden or a Westbrook. It's no. in some ways more terrifying, I think, because there, when Harden had, has the ball like that's where he does all what he does Steph you get that effect when he's literally running yeah and also who's done this off of an injury what's what's the correlation to an off like a, a missed season into an MVP candidacy I'm, I'm curious about that too well I have to look at the NBA MVPs I mean I feel like there are more cases of that or there will be this than there are if they aren't yet there will be more cases because I, I imagine that on some level the rest from that injury and the long pandemic has helped. I mean, sure. I certainly think it's helped like Kyrie Irving's season, just yeah. as an yeah, example. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. but anyway, Billy, um, anything else to add about Steph? I mean, I'm I'm sympathetic to the idea that first of all, like kind of statistically, like he's just as good, if not better, than he was when he won the MVP. Of course, everyone's stats are better. Uh, you made a good case of the impact. I do think there is some case to be made that like the relative difference between a four seed and an eight seed is not that significant. Um, I'm not sure I would have made it exactly how you made it, but I understand where you were kind of going with that. Um, and then just, I mean, to me, it's about the terror he inspires. Is there any other yeah, case? That, that's, Steph? that was, that was going to be kind of my, the, just the last thing I brought up where, um, I, I obviously the, the 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 movement is singularly unique in the NBA and maybe in NBA history, and I'm just not sure we're anywhere close to be able to quantify that issue or that that impact where you make a feint the wrong way and he's got three inches and suddenly you're either up or down three more or less points. Um, and, and just kind of that that uh, expectation of perfection that you have to have on defense to guard him. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure we're anywhere close to having to guard that, to, to quantify that. Though I think you can say the same thing about Jokic with his passing and the areas on the floor from which he passes. Um, so that wasn't the one I was going to lean on. But I just think the style in which Steph plays and allows Draymond to be kind of weirdly a, a plus offensive contributor because he's so good at playing with Steph. And then obviously be the, the spacing that's, that's provided that he provides for guys who would otherwise provide negative spacing. Uh, I, I'm just not sure we can quantify all that. So even looking at all like the, 
the alphabet soup of catch all metrics. I'm not sure. I'm still not positive that they, um, that they fully quantify Steph's offensive impact. I am with you a hundred percent. And I, on that, I mean, to me, it's almost less about what he does to his teammates. It's more about sort of the psychological toll on defenders that kind of work gets reflected in other places in the game that you can't necessarily draw a very simple one-to-one kind of causation correlation. Like you could with something like Jokic's passes uh, where it's like kind of a, a rotation is missed here or you're selling out more here. I do think that there's a lot there that psychologically impacts what's going on. And what's the old Albert Einstein truism? Not everything that counts can be counted and not everything that can be counted counts. Hmm. You ever heard that right. one? No, that's that, good, that, that sounds right. If you you should have attributed that to yourself because I never heard it. Albert Einstein. I, I read it. You know, I, I knew the quote, but there's a really good ringer story today by Zach Cram about how analytics are struggling to measure defense. And it included that quote in there. And that reminded me of it. But anyway, that's a good case. You know, I, I've been riding the Steph MVP train really all season. If you really look at my history, like I, even before this stretch, I kind of made similar arguments. Um, that's why I said, I'm with you on the, the argument. I, I'm not sure I would have made it the same way. So very interesting. Do you have any other award cases you would like to make? Uh, yeah. Scott Brooks coach of the year. No other, no other team. Uh, had I hate you week. so much. I hate no, you so no, much. No other team had a what, <laughs> 19 day break and he still put his team, had his team. I can't believe it. The almost is almost worse than saying Russell Westbrook for MVP. <laughs> Wizards party, baby. Go Zards. Yeah, I, I should have said that we're allowing we're allowing any argument to be made here except for Scott Brooks and Russell Westbrook. Those are prohibited. Would you bet your life that he hasn't signed an extension? <sighs> Not no, your I life. I wouldn't bet my yeah. life. <laughs> um, okay. You know. <sighs> uh, yeah. I, I'm, 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 that's obviously 100% facetious. Like, if this causes you stress, then feel free to kick me off the stage. No, it's, it's, it's okay. <laughs> this thing shouldn't cause me stress. Um, let's just say that the thought has crossed my mind, even if I don't think it's actually happened. So, fair enough. Uh, okay. Anybody else? I know um, I don't see any other speaker requests. Does anybody who's in the chat want to make an argument for their favorite player or coach to win an award? Going once. Okay. Anybody want to make a, make a, a case? Ben, you want to make a case for someone to win an award. That is not Joel Embiid. We're not talking about Joel Embiid. Yeah, no, no, no. I, uh, Matisse Thibel should be the defensive player of the year in the NBA. Uh, It it shouldn't be be Gobert because Gobert is going to end up winning it because because the Jazz need to get something thrown to them for their for their tremendous regular season that they've just had. Gobert fits every every mold of again. If we can't quantify properly in analytics defensive value, somehow everyone finds a way to do that for Rudy Gobert. Uh, And so I will I will tell you that he's going to end up winning it. Um, and Matisse Thibel should probably um, be uh, all defensive uh, first team. And I hope he gets it. Um, I've never seen anyone really play defense like him. He's like a free safety in a man zone, in a man scheme in football, meaning that he's playing both an area and a player at all times. He has a savant nature to the way he can gauge space and time as well as his ability to, uh, 
to, to recoup space on the court when he is beat. Um, the guy's kind of just like, again, he's a savant at defense. Now, that being said, I did see Gobert last night uh, in, a, in an, an interesting type of format with a team who was trying to bring him away from the paint, and he was uh, ineffective. Un- like I just I think we've seen the Rudy Gobert song and dance, and so I'm I'm going to tell you that Ben Simmons is the one who's going to win the award. Matisse should probably finish in the top five and get defensive first team, and um, and then every NBA nerdo journalist can do can can look at each other, smile, and pat each other on the back when they give Gobert another defensive player of the year. So that's what I'll, that's I will what be I'll doing. Just there. I'll be doing just that. Thank you very much. Yeah, of course, of course, of course, because he's super important to uh, to winning regular season games against the Thunder fifteen times a year. So, well, I, I, I do know, believe it. Is, it I do um, believe it is a regular season award, Ben. I, I couldn't agree more, man. And uh, and I think that it's both. We already have. We've already talked about that, uh, as you mentioned, the article that you read today. And I agree completely that it's very difficult to put the analytics behind defense. To, to make both an argument, but also to, specific, to specifically to show value. And I think with Gobert, uh, he somehow is bigger than that because everyone points to a, a bajillion different uh, basketball sabermetrics of how he can affect the game, even though he does it from a singular spot. He does it from the paint. Mm. I watched him, I've watched him routinely. Less singular, less singular this year. I mean, the, the, the curve of Steph Curry is like kind of a hard curve to measure. Like it's like say, sure, it's like sure. it's like saying that Ben Simmons isn't the defensive player of the year because uh, one time Luka Doncic scored a lot of points on him. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I get there's part of it is putting yourself on a specific player instead of having players funneled to you where you jump up straight and vertical, and he's great at that. Um, look, Gobert's a, a great player for uh, for for people who want to think of themselves as basketball intellectuals because he, he checks off yeah. a lot of boxes. That's right. Um, yeah, that's right. Fake yep. intellectuals yeah. like me, yeah. me, yeah, fake right. intellectual. Uh, uh, now, I, you know, I thought about this a lot. I think, I, I think uh, the defensive team this year, I would love to see just like a, a plethora of these kind of like wings that are, are the, the new age, like uh, give me, give me bridges on there. Oh yeah, absolutely. It is um, yeah. obviously right. Oh yeah. Um, you know, find find a way. Yeah, totally, man. Find a way to uh, to get Nerlens Noel onto one of these teams. He's been exceptional for the Knicks this year. Maybe That's an interesting one. Second team. That's an yeah, interesting I mean, one. I, I think, think there is something the to that. Yeah. Look, I think he's like a poor man's Gobert, and then how people should be looking at him. But he's also someone who came into this year with rather, rather low expectations. He was sort of a fringe late signing. He has had to fill in for a. Now, again, Robinson, Mitchell Robinson was supposed to be the the man in the middle there uh, and has gotten hurt like three different times and then the season ending injury. And, and so New Orleans has done a great job. And that's freed up a lot of the offensive ability for, for Randall um, and for the team in general. It's really, really hard to play Thib's defensive system night in and night out. And New Orleans has been great. So I'd like to see him get some proper rub here um, as well for one of these all defensive teams. Um, I think he's, he's fully earned at least to be thought of in, in that type of regard as one of the best, if not best rim protectors in the league. He's, he's fantastic. So always been okay. a fan of New Orleans. Glad he's doing well. Um, that's one of the, the kind of out there ones I had. Um, I, are you, wait, Matt, Matt asks you, the, yep. Matt asked you, are you picking, is your serious defensive player that you're pick Simmons? Yeah, it, it is. It is Ben. Okay. Um, my serious, yeah. my serious defensive player of the year is Ben. And I, I, I'm fully prepared for Gobert to win it. And obviously he's a more than I'm being, I'm just being critical for the hell of it, but he's obviously ah. more than a more than willing person to get the award. My coach, coach of the year. Uh, I'm, I'm 
I'm going back and forth. I, I'm blown away by the Knicks being as competitive and good as they are. And I do understand the initial rub that Tibbs gives teams structure. Um, you know, again, he's made them a significantly better team. I still think I'm leaning towards Monty Williams, though, because um, I love Monty Williams as a, as, a, as a person. He was great as an assistant coach in Philly. And it's very hard to overlook that the Suns, again, obviously getting Chris Paul helps. Having a healthy Aiton who wasn't suspended for uh, was it steroids? Is that what he took? Um, a diabetic, helps right? A lot. Or di- dia- not, what? Is that what it was? Diuretic. Wasn't it like diuretic. diuretic? That's the word, not diabetic. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's not. He's not. He did not take a diuretic. Diuretic. Um, <laughs> just, just spiking his insulin. Um, so I, I, I'm leaning towards Monty, but like, yeah. I, I, I let me ask you this: Why not Quinn Snyder? That's a good why question. Why not? Why not Quinn Snyder? I don't know why he's not coach of the year. Um, it's a good I, question. I don't hear the buzz around him as much. They've dealt with a number of injuries. They've they've kind of made the most of uh, career, call it role guys like Ingles and Clarkson. Um, I'm I'm curious if you think that he ends up sneaking in there. Who do you think is going to win that coach of the year award? I would think Monty Williams is going to win, but you know you make a good case for yeah. Snyder. I think you know a lot of times. I mean, the problem with coach of the year is very similar to the problem with. Uh, most improved it's sort of like the who surprised us the most rather than who did the best coaching job and the Suns are a much better team than we all thought and that's sort of fueling a lot of Chris Paul's fringe MVP candidacy right now which Mm -hmm. look I mean I understand where it comes from but but (laughs) we can appreciate how great he's been without doing that I mean I, I I'm a little more sympathetic to it than most let's just say but I, it's still not happening uh but Quinn Snyder I mean the Jazz have been good before and so now they're just better good that seems less impressive yeah. I'm gonna throw out a left field name for coach of the year why not Nate McMillan yeah that's an interesting one for sure talk about in-season difference I mean the the Hawks and this is this is one of the weird things too about this whole wild season it, it, it coincided with injuries too like he took over as reddish and um uh what's his name uh from uva uh now i'm blanking on his name we just came back last night um come on mike it's like in the second year Wait, so the guy from you or whatever. from who from UVA, where i'm uh, oh deandre hunter from, yeah hunter yeah i'm sorry from philadelphia to uva i, I, I forget that um as these guys were, were going down uh he was taking over uh, and yeah, that's one where you get to see an in-season correlation between one coach and another. That's fascinating. I look, McMillan's done a great job with them. I I just think that there's probably going to be some, you know, as you mentioned, a top-tier team, one of the teams that finishes first or second. And I think in in the Knicks case, finishing with home court advantage should get Tibbs some votes as well. Um, that's which is not guaranteed. I mean, it's not guaranteed. No, it's not. Could. I mean, look, there's a there's a big thing happening in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Quick aside, which is that like, I, the Heat, if the Heat stay in that sixth uh, spot, and you get a Knicks Hawks four or five, like you're going to have a Knicks or Hawks in the second round of the playoffs. Well, more importantly, leap for a young. More importantly, you're yeah. going to have potentially the Bucks having to face the Heat again. That's which is just yeah. We, I think we all want that too. Um, yeah, I would love to see that. Um, I, but I, yeah, a world where the Knicks either get a leap out of nowhere into the second round of the playoffs or the Hawks take a, you know, a premature, but ultimately people thought they were on the way up, um, with the young team. Like that's a huge get for either one of those teams, um, to, to stay in the four or five and to get each other in the first round. Um, and then, it, and then, you know, selfishly, it'd be great for the Sixers to get one of those two teams in the second round instead of the Heat mm-hmm. as well. So, yeah, you know, a lot of positioning, a little further a lot of, ahead. A lot of positioning. Yeah. By the way, yeah. 
Though there's one element of the Nate McMillan case that um, you have not mentioned, which is, boy, look, boy, the value over coaching replacement between Nate McMillan and Nate Bjorken appears to be quite high. <laughs> does that does okay. that doesn't doesn't that help Nate McMillan's case? Like, I mean, if we're gonna we're gonna say that, like, sort of, it's a easy MVP argument where it's like, look at yeah. what happens to the the team when he's not there. Surely that has to play some role, does it not? Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it, too. So it's not just the Lloyd Pierce replacement. It's the Bjorkman replacement. Um, yeah, I look, Indiana, few things, but like I think losing, um, I, number one, being part of that middle playoff pack where nothing mattered for the last month for them um, definitely did not help an unmotivated basketball team. Injuries certainly haven't helped. With Turner getting hurt, Sabonis was hurt. Levert was out for a long time after the trade. They did make an in-season big trade. So I don't think it's been the easiest, uh, you know, path for a new head coach. But man, talk about losing your, your team, um, mm-hmm. losing the locker room, losing the bench, losing losing your assistant coaches <laughs> mid-game. Um, you know, I yeah, I that's a great example as well. I feel like now, maybe Nate McMillan is becoming an, an underappreciated head coach. Pretty yeah, now, already, maybe already has. Now I'm being a little facetious because obviously Nate McMillan didn't choose his own replacement. <laughs> so yeah, right, like right, right, yeah. we're being a little sure. silly here, but uh it's just just throwing that out there. Just throwing it out there. Now, I think I'm not I think the biggest the best thing that the Hawks got back was not Nate McMillan, but it was a healthy boy Bogdan Bogdanovich. But if I'm going to make a case against my own case, um, Matt says Nash might get some votes for wrangling the stars. Um, that would be kind of interesting given, I guess he did wrangle them, but I think injuries may have wrangled them quite, quite effectively. Uh, but that's okay. That's interesting. That, that is sort of an interesting like spin on the value of a coach is it, is your job in the regular season to win the most, or is it to sort of survive without any drama? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I guess it's to win the most with the least amount of drama. So maybe it's a little bit of both. Mm. Um, but sometimes, sometimes drama is good. Like this is the thing. Like sometimes you want to galvanize in some capacity if the season's dragging on. And like I think about, I think about this. Um, what Steve Kerr has done this year. Like Kerr has kind of taken some, fallen on some swords, admitted being wrong a little bit, but without being very explicit. Uh, knowing what he was going to eventually try to get to, which was this, you know, Steph centric team that could potentially, you know, get into the the playoff mix. But um, I, you know, I, like they had plenty of drama. He had lots of people questioning him, questioning everything. And I think Wiseman getting hurt probably helped him the most in terms of how he wanted to coach. He didn't have to, you know, continue to pound the round peg into the square hole. Um, I think there's a couple situations like that. Um, That's another one. I also one. think we haven't mentioned. Well, nothing like specific to like exactly like Steph, but um, look, McCullum went down for a long time this year and the, and the Trailblazers also had Nurkic down for a long time this year. And, and that definitely didn't help. They made an in-season trade that may have been a little counterintuitive um, in Trent. Worked out. I'm not sure exactly. I think it's it working well, pretty well. I guess. I think so. Yeah. Sure. yeah why not? Yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, why not? It's, it wasn't like a blockbuster, but so, so I think I think that's another situation where Stotts has done a, a deceptively good job at figuring out multiple teams within a single season. Well, maybe Stotts should tell his uh, bosses that because obviously the big rumor yeah. is that this is probably it for him. Um, yeah. So it's yeah. gonna be crazy when he ends up in he ends up in, in Milwaukee. 
um, next year, right? That's that's the most logical oh, place for them. Yeah. Well, oh, how about this? Coach Bud is coach of the year because he changed the most. Who cares yeah, that they yeah, haven't won as many that. games? But they, he's he's addressed his weaknesses the most. Uh, what about yeah. what about Doc Rivers? We haven't mentioned Doc yet. You know, he changes the least. Doc never changes a damn thing. Um, but uh, it has somehow gotten a heck of a lot more out of Joel and and Ben's pairing together. A lot more out of Tobias Harris. Um, you know, I I I'm, I don't think he deserves to win Coach of the Year because I think the Sixers have a good team and had a good foundation. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with just getting the right pieces around around Joel. Um, but, you know, you can say something. That if you watch the Sixers play with Brett Brown for a number of years and then you watch them play with Doc, like they're, they're a better team, you know, not okay. for lack of in-game adjustments, but they're a better team for sure. Yeah, okay, so, fair enough. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You got anybody else? Uh, I mean, let's see. Uh, sixth man of the year we haven't talked about that much because it seems like it's going to be one of the two Utah guys, and they're probably – they probably are very deserving. They both are having Jalen Brunson. Jalen um, Brunson. Yeah, I like Jalen Brunson. Brunson deserves I'm, some I'm, love. Yeah, I like Jalen Brunson a lot. I also have been really, you know, again, not another Knicks thing, but like Derrick Rose has been fantastic. Yeah, that you know, been one of the best, the best trades of the deadline. Thaddeus Young, good call from uh, Matt. Has he started yeah. too many games to be eligible? I, I, I never understand like what the threshold for this award is. Yeah. He has been great, though. Love Thad. Always, always going to be a Thad fan. Thad has um, started he's... twenty of his sixty-four games. That's close. That's tight. Uh, I'm going to say Miles Bridges. Has he started too many games? If not, I think he deserves some love. Yeah, eighteen out of sixty-four. Yeah, I'm going to say Miles Bridges. Give me some Miles Bridges if, for nothing else. Because he has inspired Eric Collins, the Hornets announcer, to some wonderful heights this year. <laughs> You know, you got to give him some love for that. Uh, Eric Collins. Um, And then I have another hipster choice, which is not going to actually be the case. But why not Jay Sean Tater, Jay Sean Tater, Rookie of the Year? Interesting. Yeah, he's been great. Maybe it's because nothing on on Houston is going to get anything. Um, Rookie of the Year is going to be a, you know, obviously I think the most compelling part is going to be to see how what the vote difference is between LaMelo and, and Edwards. Um, and I think Halliburton deserves some, some votes as well. He was great. Yeah. Um, Tail off a little bit. But... I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. <laughs> but <laughs> I was, no, don't need to talk about the, the Edwards thing is yeah. interesting, right? So if you look at Edwards' season as like the sum of his whole season, you know, he was really bad at the beginning for half the year and has really come on in a way that, Halliburton has sort of stayed level most of the year and LaMelo got hurt. But the Anthony Edwards we're seeing right now, I think is like potentially like we're looking at the beginning of the next great perimeter player in the sport. I'm not saying he's there yet, but like surely the value of being that level of a player, does that, do you give added weight to that? Or do you say, well, it's only been at the end of the year. The beginning of the year still counts, and we can't give him that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I did see someone posted, like, since the All-Star break, which teams have, and I forget what the metric was, but essentially played played the best basketball comparatively to the first half. Um, and Minnesota's way up there. Like, they've played much better basketball. And obviously having Cat back was a huge part of this, but, like, 
And I look at Anthony Edwards and I think like, shit, his athleticism is boundless. His shot will get better and, and better and better. And he, and he seems to carry himself in a way that makes people like him. He has the right personality set to be like a likable universal superstar. Um, and I, I'm not saying LaMelo doesn't. I think LaMelo is incredible. I think he's going to win the rookie of the year and rightfully so. Um, he makes the Hornets significantly better. Is it but, rightfully so? Okay. I, yeah, I, I no, want to think so. about that. I, I want to so. think about this a little bit. Now, LaMelo Ball is like a thrill. Thrill to watch. He's great. Yeah. I think, and I have thought all season, and I think it showed in a lot of stretches when he's been out, that LaMelo Ball's singular impact on the Charlotte Hornets this season is slightly overrated. They have a lot and of so good far, players. So other guy, yeah, Rozier made a leap. Then they had Graham when he was out to you know step up. PJ Gordon Washington Hayward, young I think, had a really good year before he got hurt. Um, I think the biggest reason that Charlotte is in the position they're in is not necessarily the injury to Lamelo Ball, but it's that Ball and Gordon Hayward got hurt at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's yeah, it's interesting. I'm just wondering if like maybe Lamelo is riding a glow of credit in Charlotte that should be spread around more. Uh, yeah, I guess it's just easier to appreciate. I think two things at play here. Both of those guys are great. I think Edwards and LaMelo could be one, two picks in, in many drafts. Um, I think next year's draft is going to be scrutinized in a similar sense because Kate Cunningham and Jalen green are both ridiculous. And there's some other great prospects too. But these these two seem like generational type players. Uh, obviously, Wiseman being the second pick in there, and and you know, who knows? I'm not we're not writing the book on him yet. Uh, he's super young, but he certainly plays a position that is a, less of a premium than your all world athletic wing and your six foot eight, you know, transformational point guard. Um, but I also think that with Lamelo, there was there's this other thing: is it the spotlight? Like Edwards played what a half a season of sec basketball at a non tier one sec basketball program in Georgia. And LaMelo has been in the public limelight under public scrutiny for, uh, since he was 14, 15, 13, mm-hmm. something like that. Right. So yeah. like people want, they, people wanted to watch a lot of people for better or for worse, wanted to watch him fail because, because of that, because his father, because of the, the reality mm-hmm. television aspects to him. And all he did was make everyone like him. And everyone liked watching him play. And so I think he had to change public perception in a way that other rookies will never have to do just because no other rookie is going to have that type of you know background. And, and, and in Edward's case, you know, he, he played college basketball during uh, um, a pandemic season at a program that's on you know, ESPN uh, two times a year when they play against Kentucky, uh, you know, and so like mm-hmm. I'm. I'm I just think there's just like a very different way that both of them came at this. And then in Edwards case also to have such a good second half of the year, once his team got a little healthier, once he could start to find an identity, you know, with his running mate, if you will, in Carl Anthony towns. Um, I, yeah. I, I think, I think there's a great case to be made that the ceiling that we're seeing from him could be higher than, than LaMelo, but that they right. both have exceptional futures and that LaMelo's single season this year was just probably you know, strong enough throughout to, to give him the nod. So Anthony Edwards, in this, after the All-Star break this year, which is about 32 games compared to 36 beforehand, 23.5 points a game, 5.6 rebounds, 3.3 assists, 56 true shooting, which is 
about average now for the league, but it mm-hmm. was 46.6, which was like dreadful beforehand, mm-hmm. you know, shooting 35% from three, which is a major improvement. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's half the year, but at half the year, uh, that half the year is better than anything LaMelo has produced the whole year. And it's just, I, I don't know. Uh, ben, yeah. ben Simmons yeah. for rookie yeah. of the year. That's funny. Uh, yeah. 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 But my hips are, Josh, my hips are choice. Is, 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 I have a question real quick though. Like just cause I love prodding it at jazz fans, but like, do you think part of the reason why they take the superlative awards so seriously and like shit matters four years later is because they've never won anything as a franchise? Uh, I'm, oh, not gonna, I'm, not a, real, I'm not going to answer it. I'm not going to answer. You know, who okay, started okay, the who ahead. started the Ben Simmons Donovan Mitchell Rookie of the Year beef? Uh, d- uh, dude, you know who started that? Who Mitchell started? and Adidas, dude. It was a fucking Adidas campaign. Was it Adidas? Yeah, like, I don't remember. Yeah, that yeah, sounds yeah, right, though. It was like, you could buy the shirts. I mean, like you know, that was it was yeah. Anyhow, the, it's all there's always a marketer behind these things. The truth is that. I like Mitchell a lot, and Simmons is a is a is like a pretty quiet dude. He's you know he's not some ostentatious superstar, you know, putting his name out there and all things. Does he root for himself to win the Defensive Player of the Year? Yeah, he's certainly putting himself out there for that award because I think he wants it, and deserves it. Um, hmm. But uh, I, I'm a huge Donovan Mitchell fan. I'm, I'm still, I mean, of all the players in the Jazz, I like Connolly a lot. You go down the list of players that I'm, I'm big fans of. Um, so, you know, other than the one who took the pandemic unseriously and tried to spread it to people on all right. purpose. Okay. Um, all right, Even when you say about? something nice about something nice about a player on the Jazz, you can't help yourself. <laughs> I'm I, now I'm now I'm rooting for them to win the title to shut you up forever. Buddy, a world where the Jazz and Sixers end up playing in the finals or the Nuggets and Sixers, just so I can get these matchups. And I like Jokic and I like Denver. So I'd actually prefer the Sixers if if the Nuggets make the finals for the Sixers to, you know, if they happen to lose. I'd be all I would be rooting hard for the Nuggets to win the championship. Great fan base. Happy Adam Mares is great. Big fan of him as a person. Um, and so. I would love to see the Nuggets succeed uh, and Jokic succeed. I, not, there's nothing against them. I don't want to put them in the same bucket. Mm. Um, but a Jazz Sixers final would be appetizing, to say the least. Jazz and Knicks place your bets. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, we're, at, we're at about an hour. We need some more. We need some more. Does anybody else want to make some? Uh, yeah. Does anybody else want to make some take? I I thought semi seriously to make the Mikael Bridges for Defensive Player of the Year argument and just mm. just i don't think he's the it's a it's again like kind of a silly argument but ask for it you know when you can cover all sorts of different players lock them up from the wing yeah i don't know i just like that yeah, guy yeah i don't know yeah he's great man Nova Nation, big fan. Uh, you know, can't lie. Still hurts that the Sixers traded uh, him away for Zaire Smith. Um, you know, yeah. it, it is what it is. All, all roads lead to uh, to where we are now. Um, I'm trying to think other other players we haven't talked about much this year, or who have been great this year, or deserve a little bit of shine. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think we've kind of hit a wall. We need we needed some input. We didn't get it. You know, it is what it is. We, we, we try to solicit <laughs> some questions. And you you don't get it. Um, uh, give me give me your give me your actual if you can. And you don't it could be subject to change. But what, what's your actual uh, awards look like? So if I were to say, uh, 
coach defense and uh, sixth man and most improved. Do I want him say Steph for MVP? I've been like riding that all year. I don't know if I can do it. Yeah, whatever. Sure. I don't have a real vote. I think it's pretty close between him and Jokic. I don't really care who wins. Uh, Where are we at? Coach of the year. I would probably go with Monty Williams. Get, tell me what defensive player of the year I'd go with because I'm an unsophisticated, nerdy blogger who wants to feel smart, according to Ben. I'm going to go with Rudy Gobert. Uh, what are the other awards? Most improved, probably Julius Randle by default. Although that that's an award that I would think more about um, and kind of consider exactly where I'm going with that. Uh, the Jokic case that was made earlier in the pod was kind of interesting. It was an interesting one. It, it made me think a little bit. Um, but I think ultimately it's probably Randall. Um, although the question I guess that you have with him is like, is his, his, his most improved case mostly kind of buttressed by this amazing shooting that he's doing that's unsustainable from two-point range? It's a real – I think it's an interesting – And three-point, man. He, he's, he's raised his three-point percentage like 20 points this year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but maybe he's just like I, I, Julius Randle's always been kind of a, a. I don't know. I've always liked his game. I always thought he could be like an even more offensively gifted like Thad. He's just like a lefty who can get left whenever he wants. But his shooting is incredible. It's so funny credit, you say that. Him. I hated watching him play last year. He was my least favorite player to watch. I just, <laughs> I just thought it. You focus on all the wrong things, and then like the transformation has been remarkable. Uh, yeah. So maybe that's maybe just answered your own question right there. Maybe. Well, you know. I mean, the other interesting candidate is Michael Porter Jr. Yo, yeah. Uh, I, let's just we can wait on him because then next year when he makes the jump into a top twenty player in the league, okay. then we can give him that award because he's probably going to do that. <laughs> if I had to guess. Um, Okay. I mean, some of the other guys to think about for some of the, what do we got? Six man. I think Joe Ingles has been the six man over Jordan Clarkson by a fairly substantial margin, but I would go with Jalen Brunson as my, and Michael Mikhail Bridges as my non jazz six men. I think they deserve, I think Mikhail Bridges deserves a lot more love than he gets. What do we got? What else we got? Um, uh, rookie of the year. I, I think I'd probably go with Ball in the end, but I would think about it. Yeah. Like, I mean, coach I mean, of the year. You did coach of the year. Sorry, you already did that. Yeah. 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 You said okay. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah. I want to try to slip like DeAnthony Melton. I think deserves some six man love. Um, mm. I, I guess like the question of sort of. We want to, there's a question of defensive player of the year. If you don't give it to Gobert, Sims is kind of an interesting one. Like, what about Clint Capella? What about you know, I, I just think it's also interesting. You know, what about Drew Holiday? Like, I know the Bucks defense isn't what it was, but, you know, is there some case to be made that he deserves that sort of honor? Um, sure. Yeah. I, I don't know. And as far as, like, sort of fringe MVP candidates that I think deserve maybe a little bit more love than they're getting, I think I've been riding the Steph train all season. No question. I think – Luka Doncic is maybe getting a little overlooked in this conversation. Uh, I would say I, I'm also like kind of very sympathetic to the Gobert for MVP talk. I know you probably won't be. Um, That's just yeah, okay. Why is yeah, that ridiculous? Why fine. is that ridiculous? You tell me. I mean, you find me an MVP candidate who's ever averaged. What is the average? Twelve points okay. a game. Like, Who cares? You, you can't overvalue defense to undervalue offense. So yeah, MVP but you should be the best player in the league. 
One yeah, but he's pretty. He's a great offensive player too. He just doesn't score. I'm not. I'm not giving secondary screen assists the same type of credit yeah. that it, that 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 everyone again that some parts of the NBA community do. Like it's I, not that though. It's not screen assists. It's that he allows the Jazz to play the way they play, like fundamentally. Then, like, then you can't put him ahead of like. Okay, so let me let me say this. Uh, Embiid is better at defense than 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 uh gobert is at offense and Embiid is uh so much better at offense not so much Embiid is better at offense than gobert is at defense that's the way i, mean, I, I, I would gobert. i would have Embiid ahead of gobert in the list i know i'm just, I know. Like, I'm just saying like, like this sort of a... i'm just saying gobert is the third best center in the league this year and that's and that's a, a lot of credit to that's great that is a really high watermark to be in a league where the probably top two MVP candidates are centers, right? I think that's okay. that's a lot okay. of the credit given. Yeah. All right. Let me let me ask you this then: Would you do you think Rudy Gobert has a better case than the like? How would you rate Rudy Gobert's case compared to these guys, Damian Lillard? Better. Yeah, better. Do you think his better case is better? Okay, Luka Doncic. Mm-hmm. Uh, about on par. What what the Mavs have done in the second half of the year, and also they they deconstructed their roster to be less supportive of Doncic this off season. Um, and not on purpose. It took them a little while to figure. No, no, not on purpose, but it has to happen. <laughs> and on, you know, didn't make them better. Uh, than Seth Curry did, uh, Hardaway has given them very little. Um, and KP has just been a walking injury who, you know, who, okay. who knows? We'll, we'll have a podcast on, on Porzingis another day to kind of figure out okay. his career trajectory and, and that arc. But yeah, on par, they're close. Giannis. Uh, go with Giannis. Um, Buck's still okay. having a really good year. Giannis still putting up absurd stats. Two way, two way god, um, and and ultimately, like they're probably just as good at odds to win the NBA title this year as they were last year. Okay. What about all the Nets? Yeah. Uh, none of the Nets. Kyrie having the best, uh, you know, uh, argument to be made. He's been great. And I, I'll tell you, like, I think I've said this in the pod for years, but like, I absolutely love watching Kyrie play. I hate having to defend Kyrie to my friends who, who can't see the forest through the trees or whatever it is to just like watch this savant with a ball play okay. basketball and then and, and we'll always bring up the way he talks outside of it. But what he's done through Ramadan too is just incredible. Like, I, I, I got it. I have yeah. so much respect for, for, for that. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess yeah. uh, more players should fast to help their MVP cases. Buddy, I, I look, you and I are Jewish and we, we fast on Yom Kippur. I know. I know. It, it's still amazing. <laughs> I, I know you. I'm just making fun. All right. Last couple, Chris yeah, Paul. Yeah. What? Well, I don't understand how you can have uh, Chris Paul in the conversation, but not Rudy Gobert. Oh, you do. I mean, I mean, look, I'm totally down for Gobert to be in the conversation. And in fact, if he ends up being call it fifth in overall MVP voting, He's been the that's best all. player on the best team in the NBA. That's probably that's all I'm saying. And that, that, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, and that's fair. Yeah. And like okay. at the end of the day, I, I I'm not here to just shit on Gobert. I think he's like a generational defensive player who absolutely deserves to be in this conversation for being the anchor of the best team in the NBA for I don't know mm. how long have the Jazz had the best record in the NBA more or less the whole the whole season. season. <laughs> yeah. So um, right. yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, Liz, yeah. I know yeah. Billy. Billy is, wants to talk, and I want to give him a chance. But um, the last yeah, thing I'll like, say I about Go, I, the last yeah, thing I'll say about Gobert run. before you go, just yeah. think about this: yeah. he is the inverse Steve Nash. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, let me marinate on that a little bit. Um, I've, I have to hop off, but uh, this on is offense. Fun. I hope. Uh, 
Yes, I got. I, I know what you were going for. The inverse Steve Nash, um, you know that. What he with him, he's the one that makes it all work, and the other guys get the credit. And that would make Donovan Mitchell the inverse Amari Stoudemire, but I'm just going to kind of think that <laughs> thought through. Uh, just think about yeah. that for a second. All right, Billy, Billy what's up? Billy, you've been waiting for a while. I feel bad. What's up? No, all good. I'm glad you guys kind of got to touch on it a little bit. But I was just wondering, who's at this point is your second All-NBA, first team All-NBA guard? I think I've got Luca. Um, just, again, I, I think he's kind of pulled. I, it's between Luca and Dame for me. And I think he's just kind of pulled a little. He's done a little more heavy lifting with the Dallas roster than Dame has with the Blazers roster. Um, and I th- I think if that's the case, he makes all NBA guard. There's a world where it's not that difficult of a run. I mean, the West is difficult. Like it's not inconceivable. They make the West finals this year. I'm just wondering, like kind of wh- where do you have Luca in like the overall league hierarchy? Where, what is he actually eligible for again? I mean, the, the all NBA stuff is messy because of all these new positional designations that they've created. Uh, I think he's guard forward, and I, I, I'm okay with putting him at guard because he's. I feel like he's probably been the, like one of the more more heliocentric guys this year, right? Like Harden really hasn't been yeah. doing his step back thing. Um, probably the most heliocentric, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. Um, that's a good. I mean, epistemologically, like sort of the uh, positional sort of designations i think there's this is a, a tricky thing to figure out because i mean i'm basically i'm writing this book chapter now but just like positionality is so divorced from size now in a way that never has mm-hmm. been that it's just so hard to to really do this in a universal way my suggestion would be just have height designations like oh interesting so it doesn't matter what position they are but like you get one guy over seven feet tall just as an example, you get like two players from like six, eight to seven feet and you get two players that are six, one player that's like six, seven to six, four and one player that's six, three or under. I don't know. Something along those lines. OK, so and, two questions on that. One, how, how, would you enforce Kevin Garnett and Kevin Durant to use their real heights and not lie? Um, <laughs> I'd say you got to take the listed height. So if you if you uh, list your height as a certain thing i mean i don't know how else to do that but and and too so is that just kind of reserving vestiges of tradition and as opposed to ditching positions or is this something that's just like you don't think that's ever going to happen so you're trying to find a compromise no i actually think this is a better way of thinking about it because the whole like ditching of positions thing like again i'm not giving away too much of this book chapter that i'm doing right now but i think the idea of the league being positionalist is very misleading i don't i don't buy that the league is positionalist like I think to me, like that's just the problem we've had all these years is that we have only assumed for a long time height was the only differentiator or size or whatever sort of proxy you want to give. And now that like it's more complicated and saying, is it height? Is it skill level? Is it all that? Like to say the league is just positionalist is like just sort of throwing our hands up in the air and just sort of operating under what the previous structure was. Well, the truth is, is that positionality is like a little bit fluid, but there are players playing positions like Nikola Jokic. When he brings the ball up, he is the point guard in function. 
if you think about like like think about like a coach drawing up a clipboard and drawing up a play like we talk a lot about like inverted pick and rolls and all this stuff like from the coach's perspective they've just changed the positions of the players on that pick and roll mm-hmm. on that sequence Draymond Green is the point guard and Steph Curry is the four like it's just we just don't ever think of it that way but that is essentially from like it, it from when you're if you're doodling the play on a clipboard that's how you would do it right right i mean you might for the sake of clarity to your own players you might not do it that way but like essentially that is what's happening on these plays so and i think more and more we're seeing like kind of a, smaller guys play power positions and so it adds like, but the answer is not to me to make things say that the league is positionless. It's to say that like roles are not size dependent. Okay. And maybe change. So that makes sense from like a team perspective, from like a league perspective though, you can't really make that like kind of the way you designate all NBA positions. Right. So to me, the simplest way to do it on a league level is just assume that, you there's no way to uniformly create positions on a for like them their spot on a team or even a given possession. Just to make it easier, just give it a height characteristic and just separate it that way. That way you run it you don't run into the issue of like is Luka Doncic a point guard? Is he really a small forward? Is like Ben Simmons like a four or a one or a five and all this stuff like Whatever Ben Simmons does with his six nine frame, like he's just six nine, and so you just you just make it so that that's how you delineate all NBA teams instead, just to make it easier because there are too many factors on a universal level to say to define positions on in that in that way. Like positions are, but that's again different than saying that there are no positions. There are clearly positions. Does that make sense? That's why I yeah. actually think that is what should happen. Like make it like a size differentiator okay yeah and, and yeah as a better kind of homage better reflection on the all nba teams about how the game is played right yeah so you still you don't end up like still you have to build like a lineup that kind of makes sense mm-hmm. and you're still like rewarding different classes of players so it's not just like total anarchy but it's also somewhat flexible in terms of role so i guess i'm trying to think of like if it I guess an all NBA team under that construct would be Steph Curry would very clearly be the one like six, three and under guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd probably still have Embiid or probably Jokic or Embiid as like your one, seven footer. I'd probably lean Jokic. And then what you have, what Luca would now suddenly be slotted up into the larger sort of positional construct. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause he'd be in that. And then you'd have like, Giannis, I guess, is technically seven feet. I know this gets messy. The real challenge is now you'd have to find a find somebody who's like six seven to six four to put on the All NBA team. Well, I mean, I, I think I feel like I think Zach Lowe's been the one who's been hard for this. Where do you, you do like point point three wings and a, and a big? So you could do like a six a six three six four under a six five to six ten, and then seven foot and up or six eleven and up or six ten right. or whatever. Okay. I think that that might that might be a more apt way of yeah. at least in my head of kind of where you okay. have a point a big and then I gotcha. So you basically you have one player under like six four, one player seven foot and up, and everybody else has to be with between those two bowls. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense to me. Um that's an interesting thought. 
Um, but okay, fun diversion. Uh, to the actual point of uh, All-NBA, I'd have to look at it a little bit closer. It's either Luca or Lillard, you're saying. Is there any other candidate that I mean, belongs Kyrie, as that second guard? Kyrie, Harden. I mean, maybe on a permanent basis, Harden's the best of these guys. But, I mean, I don't know how you're going to kind of downgrade him for what he did in Houston and then obviously missing the past month or so. Um, is a mm-hmm. knock on his resume. Uh, what about like I mean, is Bradley Beal in the picture at all? I mean, do you do you think about Chris Paul on one of these teams? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I think that's the case. I just think from I, I I personally think from all NBA standpoint, just who's the best? Right, right, who's yeah. Had, who's who's had the best season? So um, I'd have to look at Luca versus yeah. Dame a little bit closer. Yeah. That's an interesting one. Um, I think just I just think the, the the second guard. I mean the the um, I think kind of a couple people, a couple of voters have said this, where some fan bases are just going to be absolutely incensed at the players left off of all NBA this year, just because the league is so freaking talented and uh, there haven't been these huge kind of Kevin Kevin Durant and Steph Curry aren't missing this year. Or, I'm sure we can go back a year before that where there's multiple top 10 guys who are kind of erased from the list because of injury. Right. Um, yeah. It's not as obvious this year who those guys might be, even if you do, even if you can't give it to LeBron or Harden or Durant because of missed time. Yeah. I, I think I would probably go Luca and then I would probably go Giannis. And then I guess the question is, do you make Kawhi? The guy there as the second forward, do you still pick LeBron or Durant? Um, that's, I think, where your choices are in that situation. Then second team guard, I think, is where it starts to get kind of interesting. Um, to me, I mean, I think on some uh, in some order, your all-NBA guards or the rest of your guards are probably Kyrie, uh, Bradley Beal, uh, Chris Paul or Devin Booker to pick one and Donovan Mitchell. And Lillard, though, so I don't know. I have to think about this. You're, you're, I mean, you didn't mention Kyrie or Harden in those. In those I mean, yeah, I'm going to leave Kyrie and Harden off for now. I don't know what his missed game is. I think Kyrie has probably got to be there somewhere. Uh, I guess Lillard and Kyrie is probably the simplest second team guard, and then you go with uh, for the third team. I'd probably go with. Um, Bradley Beal and Chris Paul for the third team. And then as far as forwards are concerned, I mean, the centers are pretty simple. I think we've kind of talked through that, right? Mm -hmm. The forwards you're looking at, whichever Kawhi or LeBron or KD, I guess the question is, do you put KD on the list at all? Um, Paul George probably deserves a look. Jimmy Butler's had a really underrated season. I don't think Julius Randle quite got there in the end, but maybe. Um. Uh, and then uh, I think Tatum. What about Tatum? Tatum, and then some of the centers are eligible at forward. Like it's, I know this is those the kind of the first half of the discussion about the wonkiness of how the hell do you sort guys this year? But I mean, if Embiid and Jokic are eligible at forward, then are they really? I think that's the case. I think. Oh yeah, I think that's what. Embiid, well, then you then you Embiid, would put Jokic them both. Oh, then you would put them both on the first team. That's, there's your answer. Put them with Giannis and have Kawhi and LeBron as your second team forwards and have Jimmy Butler and Paul George as your third team forwards. Easy as that. 
I guess. But then, then you have to pick another center. So maybe that's not. See, to me, like this, now we're getting too complicated. Like, let's mm-hmm. just make it. Let's height designations. That's what I say. That that's my that's my fix. Make it delineate all NBA by just height positions. I like your idea of like one short guy, one tall guy, and three medium sized guys. Doesn't matter what their roles are. Doesn't matter how they play. Doesn't matter like sort of their versatility or whatever. Just make it real simple. I, I'm there with you. I'm okay. Right there, I'm there right there with you. All right. So we got a few other people in here now. Does anyone want to make a a serious case for uh, Jackson Frank asked about uh, Embiid being forward eligible. Uh, I mentioned that. Does anyone want to kind of step up and make a a case for a certain person to be involved in the discussion for a certain award? It can be anyone. Uh, I will give people a couple seconds, and then I'm going to wrap this thing up. I know we've got a lot of new people in here now, but uh, yeah, bull bull for rookie of the year. That's a fun. I assume that's in reference to something. Like, was he like a rookie of the year at some point? A, a rookie of the year candidate, I should say. Um, I've already said my uh, hipster rookie of the year would be Jay Sean Tate. He will not actually win, but that would be my hipster rookie of the year choice. Um, anybody else got any? Anyone want to sort of put out a uh, the case for their favorite player or coach to win their favorite player or their favorite award? Derek Rose for Nate and Derek Rose for six man. Yeah, Ben actually mentioned that one a little bit earlier in the show. Um it's an interesting one. I mean, do we give Derek Rose credit for Alfred Payton being so bad? I don't know. That's a good question. Um I'd have to think about that. But it's a fair it's a fair case, I think. I mean, certainly the six man of the last two weeks, Derek Rose is gonna win that award. Bam out of bio for third team all NBA. Uh Center-wise, like, let's say you do, like, the center manipulation thing. Your candidates are basically, bam, out of bio. You've got uh, Clint Capella, I guess. Uh, I wonder where Anthony Davis sort of fits on this. I mean, obviously, he's down from the year he's had. But, I mean, do you give Anthony Davis a nod in the same way you give LeBron a nod? Probably not. I'm just, that's something to think about. Um yeah, I don't know who – I mean, if it's not Bam, I'm not sure who else belongs. I guess the other question, I guess, is, like, where do you put the Zion deserve a mention over uh, Butler or Paul George? And if you manip- if you don't manipulate the forwards, do you put Zion on there? That's, an inter- that's another one I think worth considering. I think he's had quite a crazy year. Uh, I guess it's Bam by default if you don't do that, though. I think his season has been a slightly overrated, but I don't really see any other candidate that you would put if you don't, if you put both Jokic and Embiid on the first team. I don't I'm not quite sure who else you would go with. um, If not that. Uh, Anyway, anybody else want to make a case for anyone? Towns. Yeah. I don't think Towns is a real candidate. Uh, for centers, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think Towns is a real candidate. Um, I'm not. I mean, like, look, Clint Capella's had a really good year. Like, I think we may be getting a little ahead of ourselves with this whole NBA talk. You know, I, 
I think it's still like if you compare like Capella to Gobert in terms of the kind of center impact and the rolling impact that he may have. And like, if you're going to say that he has offensive value because of that, like, I just think it's so far below what Rudy provides for that team. Then you also consider that, you know, Clint is benefiting as much from Trey Young's passing and John Collins is rolling and all that. And Bogdan Bogdanovich, um, he's had a great season. I just don't think we need to stretch it to say that he belongs in the all NBA conversation. Um, yeah, this is why I say just just make it height dependent. That's that's uh that's where I'm going with this now. Height categories, make it real simple. Um, that's what I would say. Yeah, Jackson saying I uh, I think Rudy's relationship as a lob threat is more mutually beneficial with ball handlers compared to Capella, who's more reliant. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, Gobert's a better screen setter. Plus. The relentlessness of Gobert's screen-setting ability and the timing of his roles and the presence makes a big difference. My point is that it's the same. It's just no comparison offensively and defensively. I think Gobert's better, too. So, uh, okay. I think that's pretty much it. Unless unless anyone wants to speak, I think we're going to wrap this thing up. Going once. Going twice. Okay. This has been the Limited Upside NBA Award Advocacy Show. If you have anybody else that has not been mentioned, uh, our friend on Twitter, uh, what's his username? Uh, I shouldn't remember these things. Um, Our friend Vitor, TM Warning, saying Raul Neto for Sixth Man of the Year. Raul Neto has had a terrific year. I have been amazingly surprised to watch it. So... Yeah, let's give some Raul Neto some love. So that's that. Um, but anyway, this has been the award uh, advocacy show on the Limited Upside Live Chat. We'll be back next week where we are talking about the playing game. See you guys then. Oh.